It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. Stan Dryav, Nick Braccia coming at you from the general Northeast area. Here to break down this weekend's UFC 254. It's a huge card, folks. This is one that we've been looking forward to for a while. Headlined, of course, by Justin Gaethje and Khabib Nurmagomedov. And we're going to quickly go over Brian Ortega versus Chan Sung Jung, the Korean zombie that happened last week. Nikolai, how are you, buddy? I'm great, man. I beat you yet again. God damn it, Nick. 15, 11, and 5. The crown is where it belongs. Very comfy and now familiar upon this head for it is laid upon my dome for the vast majority of the last three months it's getting more f- just much more familiar with, with the contours of my skull with the texture of my hair uh <laughs> and it's starting to it's starting to forget what your what your goofy head looks and feels like but that said it was very close we both picked really well and frankly um the only fights that either of us uh picked wrong in our draft picks, mind you. Um, oh, actually, this isn't true for you. But two of the major fights that we picked <laughs> that we picked wrong were uh, the uh, were hotly disputed decisions that I, I think the MMA media agrees with our picks. And then the main event, you know, that ended up being your draft. But we neither one of us saw the performance coming from Brian Ortega. What did you What did you think about that main event? Oh, I thought it was an absolutely phenomenal performance by Ortega. Here's the thing. I spoke last week about how you and I really had no idea what to truly expect. I think that was the case for most people. Did Ortega spend the last couple of years honing his craft, getting much better in the areas in which he was weak? Or did he spend the last couple of years sulking and kind of being in a very bad mental space? And there's good reason to believe that the latter was the case, right? With, you know, we didn't really hear of him. Comes in here with a shaved head looking like... I don't know the neo-Nazi version of his normal self. He, well, you know what, you know why he did that, right? You know what, he shaved his head. It was, it had to do with a young right, fan of his that was, yeah, who was who was, it was for, a, I believe, a young fan who had cancer. Uh, so, which is pretty awesome. Her. Yeah, yeah, I, I respect the heck out of that. I didn't know that before the fight, so I was kind of. I was kind of thinking the guy isn't going to come in here doing too well at all in the moments leading up to it, but he came in and he performed. He mentioned after the fight how, you know, he basically was kind of to himself at home for a while after that Max Holloway lost two years ago. And apparently one of his teammates, some of his teammates that stuck by him at least, they kind of reached out and they said, hey man, why don't you just come by the gym? You don't have to train. You don't have to train. Just kind of hang out and spend some time around uh, around this uh, atmosphere. And we'd love to see it. And he came down, and that was the beginning of his comeback. He apparently changed his coaching staff, really focused. Here's the thing. He was making big improvements on his boxing to begin with. But here, man, he was leagues above. And something that Joe Rogan used to do back in the day to every like striker who's really good at striking but has no takedown defense or jiu-jitsu, he would say, why don't you just take a year off? Go to you know Brazil and, and like train with some black belts. And that's kind of what... Ortega did, except he kind of stayed local and hired some really good trainers. He's always been extremely talented, and we know that because he kept winning fights, even though he clearly was not the more skilled guy. And here, man, with him having the skill edge over most of this division, it's a scary, scary thing. It looked it looked like it was 
largely about distance, right? It looked like his footwork and his it was his activity, but his activity was supported by really good footwork and keeping the distance, keeping the Korean zombie at the end of his strikes for the for the duration of the fight. And, you know, even though zombie doesn't fight the way that he used to in the zombie style, taking advantage of zombies forward motion, uh, like in that the case of the most potent strike of the bout, that spinning elbow as zombie was moving forward just uh, from Ortega, just, you know, sat him right down with that zombie ran right into it. Um, what would yeah, you what would really you say did. technically if you were to speak as a you know knowing that you are a, a high a high level high pedigree striker yourself when you look at the difference between who Ortega was even the time when he was you know when he flattened Clay Guida and Frankie Edgar albeit those are two you know neither one of those guys is very big um, uh, you know his previous striking the striking that he brought into the Holloway fight versus. Uh, his striking technique that showed up against zombie. What, what were the key differences? Well, one of the differences is that you were right about the distance, right? He was managing distance very well, but I think even more important to that, he was really good about being prepared at every range. He had good moments in clinches, even though they didn't spend a whole lot of time there, right? He obviously did very well at a distance where he's going to have the reach advantage over most guys in that division. It's just that, didn't used to be much of a variable in his fights because he wasn't a great striker. Although, again, his boxing did look like it was improving there in the last couple of bouts. Um, I think distance is part of it, distance management. But again, him being prepared for every distance was a big thing too. That spinning back elbow that he landed on the Korean zombie in the second round that, according to the zombie, kind of he made him not remember anything uh, second round on. That elbow was something he was practicing in the actual, like, fit in the warm up video from the locker room, literally moments before the fight. So it's clearly something he prepared for. It's the exact kind of move that will work really well against a zombie who cannot help moving forward. And that's the thing. Ortega was able to come in with his offense, whether he was when he was striking first, and then he just backed out and got out of the way. And one of the bigger things that really worked for him, and that's something that's going to work against most opponents that are charging at you, is the constant jab. His jab was so consistent, and that's something he showed inklings of leading up to that two-year hiatus. But his jab was phenomenal, and that tagged and confused Zombie. I will say this, though. I still think that he did... I thought Ortega won that first round, clearly. He was losing that second round until he caught that brilliant spinning back elbow. And I think that just made Zombie basically a fraction of his self. Like he just was not reacting and was not uh, displaying the high fight IQ that we've come to expect of the guy, but incredible phenomenal performance by Ortega. And it's the kind of performance that I think should make us all excited about the prospect of him challenging for a title a second time, this time against the man that beat his foe in Volkanovsky. It's unfortunate that zombie now is twice on the receiving end of spinning back elbows that put him on his tush. Um, no joke, man. I can't think of another guy that's gotten flattened by by two of them. Can't think of another guy that moves forward them as much as he does, and that kind of asks for it, man. But yeah, yeah, it's what makes him exciting is what makes him liable to such a situation. So it's it's a catch twenty yep. two in its own ways. And the co-main event moved moved out. Wait, this move this became the co-main event because something else fell off the card, right? Or was this always the co-main event? I no, I actually don't see. Oh, maybe Cyril Gunn. Oh no, versus, Cyril Gunn. Yeah, it was supposed to that's be Cyril right, Gunn. Yeah. Even though this is obviously a, a, a much uh, more relevant fight as far as rankings and divisions go, man, she came in. She, you know, she looks she looks like the character from Aliens, 
uh, Jessica Andrade. What's what's that character's name with the, with the red headband? She was like the the tough ass space marine. I'm um, way too young to know that, Nick. Uh, up yours, but she, you know, <laughs> she came in like we'd seen her at 135 before, where she had some success, but was obviously undersized. We saw her at 115, where she was champion, and now we're seeing her at what could be her ideal weight class. And again, the weakest of those three divisions by a substantial margin. She's fighting the number one contender and she put her out with body shots. Caitlin Kuchagian is a tough fighter and fighters are always trying to mask when they're in pain. And she she made her howl with those shots to the liver. Um, you know, she when she smelled blood, it was all over. Super dominant. And all of a sudden at 125, we've got uh, as as exciting um, and high level uh, title fight at that weight class as we've as we've had since since the inception of the weight class. Yeah, much like Demetrius Johnson, Valentina Shevchenko has benefited from the fact that most of these girls aren't nearly ready enough to fight her, and most of these girls that are fighting her are ranked way higher than they would be in a developed division. And that won't be the case with Jessica Andrade if Jessica does in fact get that next title shot. I will say though, Jessica is coming off of kind of a weird situation where she lost to every one of the last three champions in that 115 pound division. Granted, the Yoani and Jacek fight was years ago, but you know she she kind of showed herself to be that 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 rung just below the absolute elite, and she's putting herself in danger of being considered that way at 125 pounds as well if she goes right into a fight with Valentina Shevchenko. For that reason, if I was her, I'd ask for somebody else first, maybe somebody in the next few weeks. Like she's in great shape, she could fly back to Fight Island if she needs to. I think it would be worth her time to mop the floor with somebody else before she goes into that. Uh, Valentina Shevchenko matchup, but does she deserve it just based on her who? overall resume? Absolutely. Jessica Andrade. Who, though? No, but who would she fight at 125? Well, I would think somebody, uh, Roxanne Matafari, as much as I uh, hate to Roxy see Roxanne a, losing a fight. That's, I, don't, I don't think that's the right fight. I mean, <clears throat> Roxy has a fight against her. Roxy's better for the rookies and newcomers uh, to take on. Looking at well, that's so better I, for I, Roxy, I but is it better for the overall division? I'm not I, it's, so I'm sure. saying I'm not, you're not going to learn anything about Jessica Andrade by watching her fight, Roxy. You got uh, – I mean, How about Lauren Joanne Calderwood? I know she's coming Cynthia, off a lot. Uh, she's coming off a Cynthia Cavillo, Cavillo would be the fight. I don't know what she's got coming up. That's That's the fight. I'm very interested in that, especially since both of them moved up. But again, because both of them moved up, I'd kind of rather see Cynthia face somebody that hasn't fought at 115 previous uh, at at 115 previously. I'd like to see her somebody face somebody that's entrenched in that 125 pound division. And the same thing for Jessica Andrade. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, she is ranked at number one uh, as of uh, yep right now. As, as of right now, yeah, which is which is pretty awesome. Chukagan taking that number two spot. We have Jennifer Maya. I'm not sure if she is scheduled right now, but no, Maya is booked. That's the, no, Maya is booked to fight Shevchenko. How about this, Lauren Murphy? If she can come out with the win this weekend, yeah, that's good. Lauren Murphy's big. She's strong. Yeah, she uh, I actually I like that, and I think yeah, that uh, that makes a lot of sense. So we found the fight for Jessica Andrade. I like it, Nick. And Caitlin Chukagan, man, taking that body shot, the way she reacted to it, it just kind of, to me, points more to the fact that, or is more backup to the idea that this division is extremely underdeveloped and the girls that we're seeing at the top probably don't belong close to that title shot, let alone having already 
had one and already lost to Valentina Shevchenko. Jessica Andrade would be the one of the few kind of exceptions to that rule, and I'm I'm glad to see her being likely the next contender for that championship. We had Jim Crude who came in and we thought that Jim Crude was going to be the better wrestler and grappler against uh, Modestas Bukakis. But man, oh man, Hulk did he smash. piece him up with his boxing. Absolutely. Hulk smash. Yeah, he just Ran beat him right down. through him, man. He looks so <laughs> Very, good. very excited uh, to see Jimmy Crude's next fight at 205. Uh, who would you like? To, who would you match him up against? Let's look at the rankings quickly. I think at this point, he certainly deserves somebody in kind of maybe the bottom half of that top 15. And if that's the case, we're looking at... The winner of, the winner of Shogun Craig 2. Uh, the winner of uh, Kutalaba Ankalov. That makes sense. The winner of that fight from this weekend. Ooh, that's that's interesting. Because I, I think that... I think... I personally think like that that would be wasting a potential contender. I think that would be putting Jimmy Crude a little bit too deep into the fire because then throw him in with Johnny if, Walker. Yes, there you go, Nick. That's it. That's the kind of matchmaking uh, that you are on this podcast for, my friend. That's great. Yeah, I'm into that very much. And Modestus Bukakis, maybe he can get a fight that's uh, of someone with commensurate experience. Jimmy Crute is a super experienced guy uh, with a 12, uh, 11 and one record going into this bout, but several fights in the UFC, very successful fighter. So I think it would be nice for uh, Bukakis to get a more reasonable first matchup. And then we had James Krause, who basically controlled the whole fight with Claudio Silva. First round, I think, was his most dominant because Claudio Silva kind of came to life and started to really swing for the fences and landed the occasional shot in the second and third rounds. But it was mostly James Krause who was able to avoid takedowns. And I don't I don't know if this is definitely the case, Nick. I haven't looked back, but it seemed to me like Claudio Silva suddenly looked much less muscular than usual. Did you notice that? Yeah, he did. I mean, he just, he, uh, yeah, he looked like he got old a little bit and he, or they yeah. wasn't, you know, not maybe ready, but, um, you know, a lot of fighter, a lot of fighters from, uh, from that country have a similar body type right these days. I don't know what that, what that means. Uh, yeah, um, I have no idea what Usada could have uh, could have done to change that. Uh, who do you see next for the winner of this one, Nick? For James oh, Krause, who, by the way, can I just quickly say about James Krause? Came in and took this fight on short notice. The second bout he took on short notice against the guy that's basically, I think, undefeated in the UFC in this division and pulled it off, man. The guy is super skilled, not only as a coach, but as a fighter. And it's exciting to him to see him having the success. Who do you see for him, buddy? Well, depending on how he does in his in his his upcoming fight, uh, I'd like to see Kraus move up um, to take on Joaquin Buckley because he was talking about a bunch of smack about Buckley. He says that he came down to his gym. He doesn't like him. He thinks he's he thinks he's a jerk. And although oh, he respect he, although he respects the strike, he thinks uh, um, he thinks Buck Buckley's kind of full of it and not a nice guy. So like when you're talking about guys like that far down in the rankings. You know, I don't. I don't need to see James Cross at his age, mostly a coach fighting like Vincente Luque or Rafael dos Anjos or Jeff Neal. Like, I'd rather. How about a like, Robbie Lawler, th- Anthony Pettis? Nah, nah. I don't know. I, I don't think Kraus has those guys are into, into like legends fights. Kraus doesn't have that kind of reputation. I don't. I'd watch a bad. I'd watch a bad blood fight against Joaquin Buckley at 185. Yeah, I, I don't know that it's fair to ask the guy who used to fight at 155 to move up to 185 again. Well, he shouldn't be. He shouldn't be uh, talking shit and calling him out. Then <laughs> that's fair. I, tell, I do hear that. I mean, of talking you're, shit, say, you're saying it's not. Man. You're saying it's not fair. He's the, the one fact that he's him. not in a good place by. Sorry, say that again. I said. I mean, you're saying you're saying it's not fair. He's the one calling him out. 
That's all. No, that's that's that, that's a very fair point, and that makes it fair to me. Claudio Silva, man, showed hints of being in a very negative space. He was complaining about the MMA fans and how you know they give they give credit and fame to the guy that hits drunk guys at drunk old men at bars, but he you know they don't give credit to the guys that are winning fights. Uh, he just didn't seem to be in a good place, man, and it showed in the fight as he just got kind of dominated. But to his credit, he never stopped trying. Jonathan Martinez turned in a serious performance over Thomas Almeida. Both you, you and know, I thought that he not, yeah, would we look were good like, here. We were the only, we were, you know, most, it seemed to me, I don't know what you saw, that most of the MMA media and podcasts and sites, some people were going with Martinez, but there was a lot of, a lot of people were picking Almeida here. I think Tapology had widely um, and mostly uh, picked Almeida. Yeah, but that's fans. That, that's fans who are going to react to the hype. Yeah, uh, right. The Seven, good pickers that I 30. know of mostly picked Martinez mostly here Martinez. as well. Yeah, yeah. The the actual good, the ones that I know to be like knowledgeable in MMA and and on it, you know, most aspects of the of the sport, those guys tended to lean toward Martinez. I think a lot a lot of the people truly in the know were aware of the fact that it was mostly hype with Almeida, as much as offensively he's very talented and he didn't show that here. Defensively, he was always lacking. And good on Jonathan Martinez, man. Just roughed him up and made it look good. And can I just say, Daniel Cormier trying to make him call someone out at the end, even though Martinez wanted no part of that. A little bit weird to watch. He's almost like a pro wrestling uh, hype man a little bit there. Daniel yeah, Cormier's. yeah. I, I like I like Martinez a whole lot. I love this fight against Frankie Zions. I want, I want to see him. Look, at the back end of the top 15, you've got Song Yedong and, and uh, Marlon Chido Vera. I like both of those guys. Or if 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 uh, little ra- rainbow head Sorefoot is going to come back, I'd love to see <laughs> Jonathan Martinez uh, welcome him back. But any of those, uh, you know, Devashvili at thirteen, Cody Stamen at twelve. I don't want to see Mart. I'd like to see Martinez uh, like get challenged by one of those one of those three strikers: O'Malley, Yadong, or Vera. Uh, before he he you know goes up goes up against a brick house wrestler. I like a matchup with O'Malley a lot, and considering O'Malley didn't seemingly have a, a real injury in that last bout for which he cried wolf about, uh, hopefully he'd be ready soon to set that matchup up. Uh, yeah, I've 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 big up, been big on Jonathan Martinez for a while. He's not a talker; he's a doer, and and he's impressive. Love him. This one, Guram Katuladets. I probably said that way wrong. Uh, ended up beating the previously undefeated Mateus Gambro. Uh, this is actually I. I was watching the fight, to be honest. I was doing something else with, with my daughter at the time, so I wasn't focused on it as I should have been, but it seemed to me like seemed to me like Gamera probably earned it based on his takedowns. And obviously with Garam's uh, reaction at the end, where he, he was one of the very few fighters in the history of the sport that said, I didn't deserve that decision. I think Ed Herman was another guy that did that once in one of his, after one of his fights. He was like, I didn't deserve that decision, man. Like, like I think that guy deserved the win. And to his credit, he said it. I think a lot of people did score it for him, though. And I I need to rewatch this matchup closely to really figure out who I agree with. But what were your thoughts on this one, buddy? Yeah, I mean, I thought it could have gone either way. Like he did, he landed the more damaging blows. Um, he didn't win top control. Like it was a good fight, you know. I don't think I think it yep. was controversial, but not a robbery. And I, I think because because of the damage, uh, more people uh, I think were in line with this decision. Than they were this, the Ferhez Zayam uh, Jamie Malarkey fight, which we'll talk about because Ferhez Zayam didn't really do any, like, you know, he didn't um, he didn't really hurt Malarkey. I think maybe in the first round, 
Uh, he might have put him on his seat for a second, but definitely not in the second and third. And that that seemed like a much more of a clear, much more of a clear cut fight, despite uh, Zion's uh, athleticism and striking prowess, and even his his you know his evolving grappling acumen. It just he was young, you know he was just younger and, and not quite as experienced. Um, and, you know, made made some mistakes, but when you you can see for as I am, as he's going to grow into his skills, will probably has a higher he has a higher uh, ceiling than Jamie Malarkey does. But I thought Jamie Malarkey won that fight. Fair enough. Yeah, I I thought that he deserved the fight too. I think a lot of it hinges on that second round. Malarkey clearly took the third, clearly lost lost the first. But that second round, he was able to take Zayim down, but it was at the very end of that round and you know with about a minute minute and a half left and i thought that ferris may have done enough damage but i, I thought it could go either way so i am curious to rewatch it I, I wouldn't be surprised uh if it's the kind of fight that could go either way uh but i can see how the majority of mma media saw that last minute and a half with malarkey on top and assumed that he must deserve uh the round so I'm, again i'm going to rewatch this one i do want to do a quick mention for uh, june young park who dominated john phillips and landed a record number of strikes against him and by the way john phillips is one of the these guys that is kind of a mediocre fighter who fought Kamzat Chimaev. Like, this just goes to show you, it doesn't take a lot to dominate some of the guys that Kamzat has dominated. Let's see him against some good competition. Uh, Maxim Grishin got a, you know, a, an overwhelmed Gadzimurad uh, and Zikulov. I talked about how his gas tank sucks, and after about three, four minutes, he is easy for the picking and that's exactly what Grisham did he just overwhelmed him with a with a bunch of strikes and then Said Nurmagomedov smoked Mark Striegel and uh, you weren't buying into the Nurmagomedov hype I hope now you give him a little more credit Nikolai well I thought he was good I just thought I could see you know he hadn't he hadn't looked great in the previous UFC fight and I thought that with his Sambo background that Striegel might be able to get him but he felt he he as soon as he felt the power it was you could tell that shot shook him to the core, and that was all she wrote, as they say. Uh, we left out Julian Robertson, um, the redheaded Canadian, who um, looked great again, uh, <clears throat> kind of routing uh, Poliana Botello. Um, Jillian, for Jillian next at 125, that's uh, she hasn't fought Roxy yet, so I, th- um, I, th- I don't think she has. I would I would like to see her against the winner of um, Roxy and, and Vivian Arojo. I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'll, I'll I am into that. Um, she did lose. Jillian lost to Macy Barber already, right? I believe Macy Barber yes, TKO'd her up believe, against the fence. I believe that's her one UFC loss. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind them running it back. Like Barber, you know, Barber needs to come back after getting defeated by Mattaferi, and. Um, and Jillian's on a bit of a run now. Like I'm sure Jillian wants that wants that fight back, and it'd be, you know, if you're going to bring Macy, you know, back to the site of her, you know, her best victory, um, that would be kind of interesting. But I think she gets, I think she probably gets the winner of Mataferi Rojo. Yeah, I'm there with you. I'm 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 into that matchmaking. Nikolai, let's take a break. Let's come back and talk about the reason that we're all here. UFC 254, Khabib versus Gaethje. Back on the MMA Geeks podcast, 
and we're going to get into UFC 254, Khabib versus Gaethje. Such an exciting main event, Nick. We've got Gaethje, who on paper has all of the tools that you would want in order to have a good chance of beating Khabib. And then we have Khabib, who is 28-0, who's untouchable throughout his career. He's working on 29 this weekend, Nikolai. A fascinating matchup. For Khabib, this could be the last fight before his retirement. And for Gaethje, this could be the fight that launches him into superstardom. If he can pull this off, if he can even lose a super competitive war, he can really cement himself as a huge star in this sport. I think the last fight did a lot for him, fighting on pay-per-view when no other sports was around and beating up Tony Ferguson. And now he's got a, a huge opportunity because of that result. Minus 330 favorite Habib is, which is completely insane. But we'll go back to I that. I agree. Uh, we'll go back to that. So what's the wait? Who's got first pick this week? I've got first pick this week, Nick. Oh, no. Who do you have in mind as your first pick, Nick? May, I'm not telling you. Make your pick, you bum. How about a hint? Maybe just a hint. I lost the last week's event. Come on, Nick. I could use it. Fine. It's all about that Phil Hawes. Really? No. Hmm. It's not. Why not? Why do you hate <laughs> Phil Haas? All right. Anyway, let's get into this, Nikolai. My first pick. I'm actually making the decision Phil Haas. on the spot, Nick. <laughs> no, not Phil Haas. I mean, I, I want to make this pick, but I feel like the odds are so blown out of proportion. But I guess I'll go with it because I still feel like it's probably the safest of the... I guess she's, she, she is probably the safest one. I'm going to go with Miranda Maverick to beat Liana Jojua. Maverick is a southpaw prospect that fought most of her professional career in Invicta FC, coming into her UFC debut with a 7-2 record. She'll have a a slight height and reach advantage here. She's fairly meat and potatoes on the feet with straight punches and low kicks. Does well from top position, but has a tendency to be taken down in most of her fights. She isn't really super quick. Like, she isn't super quick to get up to her feet either once she is taken down. Jojua is a limited fighter from Georgia, and I know that like Georgians have been tearing it up in the UFC lately, including, I think, that upset that we just discussed uh, uh, from last weekend. Um, She has a serious armbar, and that's really the only thing worth mentioning. The thing is, she has like five wins with that armbar, and Maverick likes to take top position, so there's a chance here, but I'm going to take Maverick to control her and win a pretty clear-cut decision against, unless Jojua is like a Ronda Rousey-level armbar technician. I think uh, Miranda should have this fight. Odds are way too far apart, though. And I'm going to... uh... I'm going to pick the other women's fight. I'm going to pick uh, the American Lauren Murphy against uh, the Uzbeki fight, Uzbek fighter uh, Lilia uh, Shakarova, uh, who's making her UFC debut, I believe. Is that correct? Yes, it is. On 12 days notice. On 12 days notice. Um, you know, I'm sorry, paper, nine days she's, notice. She's 5'4", Murphy's 5'5", five five, but I wa- you know, watching tape on her, she just looks small. She looks real small for 125 in the UFC, and Murphy's very strong. Um, so I just don't think I, I think I think I think Murphy's going to be able to uh, control her up against the cage. I think she's going to likely have more reach, although I don't have the reach numbers for Shakrova. And on the short day's notice, I just think I think Lauren Murphy's a very very tough out. Period at 125 and an even tougher first draw on short notice when you're undersized. Lilia is a skilled fighter who's actually from Tashkent, the city I was born in. She took this fight on nine days notice after Cynthia Calvillo pulled out. She's a crafty standing and likes to go for takedowns in the second half of rounds to work from top position. 
the short notice situation in her UFC debut against Lauren Murphy, who's a top 10 flyweight, is not a great welcome. Murphy is very strong. She hits very hard. At age 37, is that her absolute physical and mental best, I think? I expect her to get a clear-cut decision, if not a late TKO. But Shakirova is a legitimately skilled fighter. And I think part of the reason she looks so small in some of those bouts is because she's fighting skinny, kind of tall girls. And she kind of tends to wear like a loose t-shirt, which I guess they allowed her to do in some of the organizations that she's competed in. And I think she wears like leggings all the way down to her ankles over under her shorts so i feel like that kind of contributes and makes her look even smaller than she is but legitimately a skilled fighter it's just kind of a rude welcome into the ufc so i'm there with you on the lauren murphy pick and this would have been in you know my top two or three picks my second pick is going to be i guess i'll take phil hawes to beat uh. jacob malcone um <laughs> what why okay. do you do you disagree with this one or something no, i thought i know I, you i thought I just think it's funny that you and I have picked Ankalov and Kutsalava like m- oh, multiple man. show Fuck for multiple that, shows, not doing and it. we're we're not yeah we're not convinced it's going to happen. <laughs> so exactly. Neither one of us, neither one of us is taking it yet. I just think that's a hundred percent, Nick. That's the fifth time that this is the fifth time that fight has been booked. If you count the first time where they actually fought, like that's absolutely insane. They at this point it's going to be like Khabib, Tony Ferguson level of cancellations. So. Malkoon has good fundamentals everywhere. He's actually Robert Whitaker's training partner. He's, you know, decent striking, decent ground game, decent wrestling, nothing out of this world special, but it's hard to tell because the guy's only 4-0, even though he trains with one of the very best 185-pounders on the planet. Halls is fast, explosive, and technical, but he loses steam if he doesn't finish early. Still, I'll take Halls because he trains with elite guys at Stanford MMA under Henry Hooft. And because Jacob only has four pro fights. But if Jacob gets through five minutes, don't be surprised if he takes over from there. Yep, I'm uh I'm with you. I'm with you on this one. You never tell they can't tell that much about it. there's been a lot of training partners of elite fighters who never really, for whatever reason, could get over the hump. I mean, some people are just practice athletes. I was a practice swimmer. I was not I was not a you know a great a great racer, but a good practice swimmer. Um, Chris Tuchere, Brock Lesnar's training partner, not a ton of success at heavyweight, but you know he he worked well as a training partner for Brock. Yeah, um, but I will say this quickly: for when I hear Brock Lesnar's training partners were told not to hit him hard and to be uh, to build his confidence, basically. So I think Tuchere was just like a rag doll that that Brock could easily toss around, and I think Brock's coaches preferred that. But I do hear what um, you're saying. I'll let Brock know that you said that when I text him later. So Nikolai, if Brock wants a piece of this, I'm right here. Brock would Brock would eat you and then ask to see the menu again. Fine, <laughs> but I will ask for six months to get on a serious steroid regimen, and then I will whoop that ass, Nick. No, dude, he's Go ahead, all, just set it up. Just set it up. All, Prove me wrong. That's all. He's all Jack Links, man. Jack Links and Coors Light. That's it. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna yeah. take Joel Joel or Joel uh, Alvarez over. Uh, the fighter whose first name I don't have in front of me, uh, uh, the 36 year old, if I recall, Alexander, uh, Alexander, Yakov, uh, yeah, yeah, that guy, um, Alvarez, Alvarez, uh, you know, pretty good fighter. He's got a great, he's, he's mostly a submission fighter. If I recall, is that correct? Or am I making that up? Yeah, they both are technically. Yeah. Um, and Yakov has been like around the UFC for a while, but, uh, and he's got like a win over Paul Daly like seven years ago. He's fought some interesting guys, a win over Gray Maynard. Uh, he fought Damian Maya at some point, which I don't remember at all. 
He's got he's lost to some great fighters. Kamaru <laughs> Usman, Zach Cummings. He lost to Roosevelt Roberts uh last year, like a year ago, which is not very uh doesn't hasn't aged well that loss based on how Roberts has looked this year. But he has a win against No, Alex but he did have Silva. good moments against him. Yeah, yeah. And he did look um and he beat Alex De Silva. He choked him out. De Silva just looks pretty darn good against Brad Riddell for the first, you know, half half to two thirds of the fight. Um yep. But I think Al, you know, Alvarez here uh, is a <clears throat> is a much younger fighter, uh, coming in at six three with a seventy seven inch uh, reach. I just think I just think he's the clear you know he's the clear favorite with a high upside against the journeyman. Yeah, I mean, both these guys are grappling based, like you said. Except Alvarez has the edge in athleticism and youth, and Yakovlev has the experience advantage and the craft advantage. I agree with you on the pick, but I think there's more risk here than to make this the second pick of the night. So I, I wouldn't necessarily commit to it to that extent. But I, I do agree with the pick. Um, Alexander Yakovlev, again, though, he's crafty. He has turned away some prospects. And he's given some prospects a really hard time. So, you know. Oh, uh, no. It's, it's I totally. Not... Ugh, I always do this. I was supposed to pick What's something that? else before. I was supposed to pick something else before this, and I screwed it up. That is lovely. Nick, what fight might that be? I'm not telling oh, you. I see it. I, th- I, th- I think I see it. Um, my next pick, Nick, is going to be. No. Ah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, Nick. I'm taking Magomed Ankalaev to beat Ian the Hulk Kutelaba. Ah, that, guys... wasn't my ne- that wasn't my next pick. No, I, I know what your next pick is. I- I'm just less sure of that one, believe it or not, than yeah. I am of this one. Uh, or at least I think I know. I can't believe they had they had Magomed Ankalaev, a top light heavyweight prospect, training for only Ian Kutelaba all year long, Nick. Not only did he come into this new year on January 1st, training with for Kutelaba, who he was scheduled against in February, but then he had to keep doing it again and again and again as Kutelaba failed multiple COVID tests because, Nick, here's some news. It turns out that if you have COVID today, a week or week, or week and a half later, you might still have COVID. So that happened. Um, look, he roughed him up in February on Kalayev did if only for those first few moments, but because of an early stoppage, they've rebooked this one. Again I, still and again think, and again. I don't think that was an early stoppage. I think he knocked the guy silly, but okay. Well, yeah, you knock a guy silly, but you don't stop a fight because a guy is uh, as experienced as Kute Laba is stumbling on his feet. Right. He did. It was like three of those goofy stumbles. I mean, if he, if he was playing all of those, that's a really stupid way to fight. He wasn't playing it. I rewatched the fight. He took clean shots, not only nasty body kicks, and then a head kick that bounced off his glove that kind of, then his glove dropped onto his head, but clean, if I remember, left hands by Ankalaev. Ankalaev was just like so much faster. It should be insane. I think he should be able to pick up where he left off. He uh, he just looks so much more skilled early on. Kutilaba's gas tank affords him about five solid minutes because he doesn't really manage his energy. He just goes full tilt for the first five minutes. So I like uh, Ankalaev to hopefully keep his mental focus through all this and score a clear-cut win and hopefully move on with his life because he is one of the many fresh new faces at 205 that all show promise, and I would love for him to move on from Kutelaba. Kutelaba, by the way, has really good Greco-Roman wrestling, which he might be able to employ here, but even then, I, I expect that... Uh, I expect that Uncle Ives' takedown defense will be solid. So, okay, so I am getting my next pick, which is... Yes, you are. I'm going to pick Da Eun Jung. Um, yep, fighting out of South Korea or to defeat Smiling Sam Alvey. Uh, Sam Alvey's a tough out, but so are a lot of guys that Da Eun Jung has, uh, 
you know, has put down uh, both here, you know, here and overseas. Kadis Ibragimov, uh, he he knocked out um, slow, uh, slow Mike Rodriguez, who uh, showed us against Ed Herman uh, how tough he is, even though he was on the wrong end of that disaster. Um, Alvi looked Alvi looked better than people expected him to against Ryan Span, but that that you know, I think at the time anyway, I thought Span was probably better than than he showed. Uh, in his last fight, which was against, oh, geez, uh, against Johnny Walker. So I think that, I, I just think that uh, Ung is going to be, <clears throat> he's going to land more, uh, he's going to land more frequently. I think he's got a pretty good chin. Uh, I'm not worried about him getting KO'd. He has not been KO'd in his professional career. And that's really Smiling Sam's uh, shot is to, you know, is to land the, land the one big punch and put him down. And I just don't think it's going to happen. I am with you on the pick, and the reason that I didn't make this pick uh, on my last turn, knowing that this is likely your next pick, is because Sam Elvey's not getting blown out of the water by most of these guys. He just lost a super close fight to Ryan Spann, who's you know a light heavyweight prospect. Daun Jung is 2-0 in the UFC with one submission and one knockout, right? And this is the first time that he's favored to win, and he's favored in a huge way. He's got solid boxing fundamentals with a heavy right hand backed up by a consistent jab. He keeps his composure in hairy moments and comes in with solid conditioning from what I've seen so far. Alvi is only two years older than Jung, but he is a high mileage fighter with 48 bouts on his resume, riding a four-fight losing streak into this one. He's coming off of a close decision loss to Span, like I said. He's a low-output southpaw with a heavy right hook and plenty of craft that only this level of experience can really bring. I do like Daun Jung to win by decision, if not a KO here, but if his defense is not up to par, he will get cracked by that heavy right hook of Albies. Luckily for him, he's facing a second hard-hitting southpaw in a row as he's coming off of the knockout over Mike Rodriguez, who's another prospect in this division. Who I would pick over Sam Alvey at this stage, would you not? Uh, yeah, I could also see him running into Sam Alvey's right hook. Sam Alvey, again, like, he's a crafty, crafty dude. But look, th- yeah, there's an entirely, th- there's a decent chance that he gets cracked by Jung in that first round and, and down and then TKO. He's also, I mean, he's he's got two inches of height and two and a half inches of reach, too. So he's the, the Korean fighter's the bigger fighter here. Uh, I think the odds should be closer on this one, as Alvey is too crafty, I think, to be overlooked in this matchup, especially against the guy with much more limited experience. Uh, But I am there with you on the pick. My next pick, Nick, is going to be... All right, Nick, drum rolls. We're doing the main event. Now's the time. So Khabib has fast hands, even though he's known for... No, you're picking this. Holy shit. Okay, go ahead. I'm, I'm picking the main event. I'm not saying who I'm picking yet. Khabib has fast hands, even though he's known for his grappling, his jab, um is really sharp. His right uppercut and overhand packs some serious power. His striking defense is overall good, but could use some work as he runs away with his chin up when, you know, things get a little hairy, when he starts getting tagged. Obviously, he's a high-level wrestler and grappler. Once he gets a hold of you, he doesn't let go until the bell rings to end the round or until the referee pulls him off from a TKO or submission. He's an expert at making his opponents carry his weight on the ground and against the cage. So he doesn't necessarily need a takedown to win a round, right? He can just tire you out against the cage, which opens up the takedowns later in a fight. His father recently died of COVID, so he lost not only his head coach, but probably his closest family member leading up to this fight. And I wonder how much effect it will have on his performance. Could he be motivated by it, or could it 
kind of put him in a dark place right now. I think that's a lot of what will decide the result of this fight. I wonder if Javier Mendez can really replace Abdul Manap in forming a game plan and keeping everyone at line at Team Khabib. Because Javier Mendez is not super high IQ'd. He's he's a knowledgeable guy. He's a good dude. He's very friendly. Abdul Manap was like a warlord. Like people feared and respected him. He wouldn't speak nicely to you. He would like command you to do something and you would do it. Um, very different coaching style. And I wonder how Team Khabib will react to that. We've seen Khabib have tough moments against fast, powerful strikers like Dustin Poirier and Michael Johnson. But those guys did not have the wrestling and credentials to keep him off of them. Gaethje made his name in w- in the WSOF as their biggest star before signing with the UFC and hitting the ground running against the best lightweights on the planet. He's known for pushing forward with offense at all times as he preferred a war of attrition in which his power and chin won out every time. That is until he ran into Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier, two guys that could match his grit and violence while also carrying years of high-level experience into those fights. Uh, both back-and-forth wars ended with Gaethje being outcrafted and finished by the veterans. Following that, Gaethje finally felt the motivation to change his style and follow his coach Trevor Whitman's lead in making himself hard to hit. And he reeled off four consecutive knockouts over James Vick, Edson Barboza, Donald Cerrone, and Tony Ferguson, respectively. He was suddenly much more technical, making his opponents miss while landing fast, hard counters. He was a Division I All-American collegiate wrestler, And from all accounts, he was phenomenal on the mats and impossible to take down and control. He brought in multiple wrestlers for this camp to make sure he gets a realistic preview of what Khabib will feel like come fight night. Combined, these two men have a 50-2 and record, which is incredibly impressive considering the high level of competition they both faced. Physically, they're very similar with all of their stats being equal besides Gaethje's one-inch height advantage. Gaethje lands twice as many strikes per minute as does Khabib, though. But... Gaethje gets hit five times as often as Khabib does. Khabib gets more than five takedowns per 15 minutes of fighting, and I can't think of anyone with a better takedown rate besides Davalosvili, uh, who we discussed earlier. Justin will be the more dangerous striker, but Khabib might actually be the faster man here. Justin is strong, but Khabib will be stronger. Plus, Khabib knows how to leverage his body weight to make himself seem even stronger than he already is, right? For this camp, Justin brought in the number one wrestler in the country in Ryan Deacon, who has multiple high-level tournament wins and an undefeated record at 157 pounds. If the NCAA tournament were held this year, which it was canceled because of COVID, he would have been a shoe-in to win the damn thing. According to Gaethje, he couldn't really get Deacon off him very much, which is understandable. But then it's also understandable that he probably can't get, get Khabib off him. Gaethje says that he had a fresh wrestler come in and pressure him every couple of minutes, which means he's less likely to get tired, especially if Khabib doesn't throw body shots, which is what helped Alvarez and Poirier to kind of slow down Gaethje. Gaethje did everything possible to make himself ready for this fight. So if anybody in the history of Khabib's career can beat him, it's Gaethje. But at the end of it all, Gaethje's training partner's could not match Khabib in his overall skill and confidence. From what I understand, Dagestani wrestlers do really well against American wrestlers when they compete in tournaments. So Khabib has been training at the highest level when it comes to wrestling since he was a child, right? And he's not like a guy who's been doing this from three or four years old up to his tw- up to being 20 years old. He's been doing this from when he was a little kid all the way up to his 20s when he joined the UFC and now in his 30s when he's been ruling over this division for a little while. On top of that, he's incredibly athletic, right? Which manifests itself with serious speed and, and strength. Uh, that is Khabib. On top of that, he's he has an excellent jab and good overall defense standing. For those reasons, 
I am picking Khabib Nurmagomedov to outwill Justin Gaethje over the course of 20 plus minutes, even if he has to work through some tough moments to do it. And here's the thing. Maybe he can he can very well finish Justin Gaethje by submission, possibly by TKO on the ground, because Gaethje admits that he doesn't have a great ground game. He's just so hard to hold down that we've never had to find that out. I just feel like even if Khabib can't take him down right away, he can certainly latch on to him and not let him go, make Justin carry his weight, slowly tire on him, slow him. I'm sure Khabib will be landing knees to the body in that clinch, and then eventually he'll start imposing his will. But I am I would love to see Gaethje come out here and shock everyone the way that he did a couple of months ago against Tony Ferguson. A heck of an analysis there. I'm I'm also picking Khabib, but I'm less confident than you are. I was this was gonna be I had this down as the the pick I'm tenth I'm tenth most confident about. Um wow. out of the picks. He's I mean, I love Khabib. I don't I love Gaethje, but I don't want to see Khabib lose. So I want I my heart is with him in this fight. I like the undefeated fighter. A lot of it has to do with the fact that I think that Connor can beat Gagey, but I don't think Connor can beat Khabib. Uh, so if if I, I don't want Connor McGregor to get the things that he wants, so that's one of the reasons why I'm rooting. I'd much rather see Khabib versus GSP in a retirement fight for both of them. That's all. That's all respect. Um, so I'm pulling for Khabib, but like if this goes more than three rounds, I start to worry. Khabib tires a little bit in the fourth and fifth. Gagey's power stays with him. Um, I, I am hoping for a, a Habib choke in the third, uh, but we'll, we'll see. It's, um, you know, a lot of the commentary I've been listening to, they say like the path, the path to victory for Gagey is also the going could be his Achilles heel, <clears throat> both metaphorically and, and sort of literally in this fight, because he's got those great kicks, but those kicks are going to present entry points for Habib. And once they do, it could spell one kick could spell, you know, four and a half minutes of pain and suffering for Justin Gagey. So we're going to we're going to see. But it would not surprise me at all if Justin Gagey wins this. If he's able over a lot can happen over over 25 minutes. And if um, off of a separation uh, out of the clinch, <clears throat> he catches he catches and rocks Khabib or puts Khabib on his butt. Gagey's killer instinct is second to none. And I could easily see him like stunning Khabib and before Khabib can get back up or Khabib grabs a leg and Justin hits him 17 times. Uh, you, you know, so if he if he does grab the leg, he hits him 17 times and uh, and puts him out. Or um, <clears throat> if he gets him on, on his butt, I could see him, you know, landing one of those uppercuts or hooks to Khabib as he's as he's trying to get up. So I, I think Khabib wins the fight, uh, but the odds for this are insane. I would put Khabib at maybe minus 150, not minus 330, which I think is crazy. Maybe not even minus 150, maybe like minus 130. I think that the odds are insane. I definitely don't think minus 130 is reasonable given Khabib's success and the fact that Gaethje's been beaten twice by guys that Khabib either has or would maul. Well, but, yeah, in street, in but, street yeah, fights, minus though. Minus 210, in, maybe. He's lost, to those, he's lost to those guys in street fights where they stand, where those they, guys, they... Yeah, those guys figured out what would work against Gaethje given their attributes and it I mean it was it was effective right but so, but psycho, psycho yes but but Gaethje also went into the UFC saying I want to be entertaining someone's going to knock me out eventually we're going to see who it is he didn't change until he got put on his ass twice and he's True. a different he he and how many times has Justin Gaethje been knocked down in those four fights once by Tony Ferguson who knocks almost everybody down with a hellacious uppercut and Gaethje bounced back from it like 
he's a tough, tough, top-notch guy. I think every Absolutely. bit, every bit, every bit as good as Poye is right now. Maybe better. That's a rematch I'd love to see. I like both of those guys. Just like we should just be thankful as MMA fans for this division and how good it is without Conor McGregor in it. I mean, look, I I'm all for watching Conor fight. Like I'm for watching. The He's rest a great of fighter. Fight. I just yeah. hate it when Conor and Jones insist on taking the thunder of a fighter that just won a big fight and like making some proclamation about their careers that never actually goes anywhere. Uh, but yeah, like I like I, I obviously am not a fan of a lot of what Connor's been doing outside the cage. And maybe for that reason, uh, there's plenty of reason not to want to see him fight and not to want to, uh, inflate his ego all the more with attention, but he's, you know, he's still a top fighter, unfortunately. And, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing him fight, but look, this is a phenomenal main event. This kid has the highest chance of anyone. I think in Khabib's career at beating him. And I am going to be enthralled. I'm going to be watching the whole time. There's a chance. Look, I bought, just, I bought a new TV for it. Oh shit, that is fancy. I bought a 65-inch OLED 4K. I like it. I like it, Nick. Yeah, so Justin, here's the thing. His footwork is going to be key. Once Khabib grabs a hold of you, he's going to not let go. And I think Justin needs Khabib to let go in order to do damage onto Khabib. Um, if Gagey can really be so evasive with his footwork as to not let Khabib grab a hold of him for at least three rounds, he can do this thing. He can win this fight. Hell, he could potentially hurt Khabib, but Khabib has a phenomenal chin, better than Tony Ferguson's. And, yep. you know, Tony Tony Ferguson wasn't exactly blasted. He was just overwhelmed with hundreds of head strikes over the course of four rounds. So, you know, I, I would put Khabib's chin up against just about anyone else's. Um, and, and I you know, I, I like that he doesn't get sloppy in exchange. Once he does get buzzed, he circles the heck away, although sometimes a little bit less technically than I would like. So, yeah, I'm, I'm there with you. Exciting, exciting stuff coming up, Nikolai. What is your next pick? Oh, the rest of this card is actually very difficult to pick, in my opinion. Yep. Um, a lot of these fights could go either way. I'm going to take the hot hand prospect or surging prospect over the slightly less surging prospect. I'm going to go with the very active and always looking better Casey Kenny over Nathaniel Wood. And what I expect to be a barn burner and an extremely close fight, I think... I think Casey Kenny looks almost unbeatable right now. I know that's probably not the the truth. I think he's a more versatile fighter uh, than than Wood is. He's got incredible confidence, and Wood's still only one fight away from uh, getting knocked out. And if I recall, in his last bout, he won, but didn't he? Didn't, I don't believe I remember him looking as um, <clears throat> as dominant in that victory than as I had anticipated. Um, who was that against? Let me check it out real quick. It was against a UFC newcomer. I forget his name. Yeah, John but, John you know, uh, John Castaneda. Yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a look. Castaneda is a pretty good fighter, so I don't fault Wood for having, you know, not blown him out of the water. But I he mean, did largely yeah. control that fight, and you know, out, outlanded him, outstruck him, and out technique them. But I think, to be fair, his opponent took it on short notice. So, yeah, this is going to be a step up for him for sure. And this step was going to be my and, next pick as well, Nick. Yeah, and K- Kenny just looks like a you know. Except for that fight against Devashvili, and I like Nathaniel Wood, but he's no Marab Devashvili. Like Kenny's just looked really, really good. Like Ray Borg gave him a little, gave him a little bit of trouble for sure. Um, but that was, you know, it was a year and a half ago. But he's and on like he's a couple fought, days notice. He's fought. This is his fourth fight of the year. He opened the year with Devashvili, then he he choked out Luis Smolka. He beat Hele Atalang a couple weeks ago. Um, I mean, Jesus, this is his second fight this month. And I just think he's I just think he's on a roll. I, I wouldn't want to fuck with Casey Kenny right now. That's that's where I stand on this fight. 
Yeah, I'm there with you. I've been big on Kenny for a while. Wood is a serious prospect at 135 as well, though. He's yep. got high output yeah, striking, mixes in crisp boxing and fast kicks. He is really effective on the front foot when he's pressing forward, but not nearly as effective when being backed up. He has a solid ground game, also pressure-based uh, as he likes to work from top position. He is 4-1 in the UFC under the tutelage of Brad Pickett, who got his coaching cues from his years at American Top Team. So you can kind of see some of that, like that jab, cross, switch, step, left, cross thing that Nathaniel Wood does. It's, it's very similar to what a lot of those ATT guys do. His one loss is to John Dotson, who was able to take him on the counter given his experience and speed advantage. Kenny is as well-rounded a fighter as you can get. He's not just like a jack-of-all-trades, right? He's really good wrestling, excellent striking, solid Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He fought just three weeks ago, like you said, and dominated Haley Alatang. He likes to pressure too, but he doesn't pressure and throw first. He pressures you until you throw a defensive strike, and he likes to explode with punch and kick combos look really smooth against Haley Alatang, who's got a pretty popping right hand of his own. He is also 4-1 and one in the UFC with his lone loss coming to Mirab Devashvili, which you mentioned as well. Look, Wood relies on takedowns, but he isn't likely to get one against Kenny, who should be the better wrestler. If Kenny can press forward, Wood will be much less effective with the strikes. Plus, Wood likes to throw first and Kenny prefers to counter, so that kind of sets him up for that situation. In addition, Kenny has fought and beaten better UFC competition than as yep. Nathaniel Wood. Uh, give me Casey Kenny by decision all day. This will be a great fight. I think it'll be a contender for a fight of the night. Yep, agreed. What do you got next, bro? So this was going to be my first pick, unfortunately, uh, my next pick, and I was actually debating between that one and the Khabib pick. Unfortunately, you took it, so I'm going to take uh, Alexander Drogo Volkov yep. to beat yep. Walt Big Ter- Ticket Harris. Both of these men have eight losses, but Volkov has 31 wins and Harris has only 13. So big experience edge for Volkov here. Harris is 6'5", but Volkov is two inches taller with a three-inch reach advantage. Harris got smoked by Fabricio Verdum, and Volkov has a KO win over him. Harris has serious power early, but if he doesn't finish you in the first round, he's going to be ripe for the picking because he fades quickly. He also doesn't have much heart once things start going south for him. Volkov has been knocked out before, so there's a risk of getting caught early since Harris has at least knocked down four of his last five opponents. In some cases, they were knockouts, of course. But Volkov should be able to use his jab to stay relatively safe and get a finish after Harris's gas tank that's uh, close to empty. Although Volkov's sometimes so risk averse that it can go to decision as well. All right. We're down to the last three picks. One for each of us, right? And then a tiebreaker on this card. Is that correct? So you have one more, which will put us each at oh, five yeah, picks. 12. And then we each have one more after that. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Oof. Tough, tough fights to call. I'm going to go with, and this will probably be the bane of the night for me. And this is a dangerous <laughs> pick. I'm really. Ugh. I'm gonna go with Jared Cannonier over Robert Whitaker. Whoa, Nikolai, I like it. It's re. I don't feel great about it, but I. I see it more clearly than um, than the victories in the other ones. Whitaker's gotten knocked down a lot uh, his last five fights or so. Cannonier is so strong and big and fast. I think he's gonna clip him early, and this will be like the Jared Cannonier contender fight. Like this is the one that'll get him in line for uh, for a title shot. I just think he's gonna. I think he's gonna find him, and that the mileage on the mileage on Whitaker is such that I don't think he can stay free of Cannoneer's power for three rounds. If if Whitaker can get through the f- the first five, um, 
if you get through the first seven and a half minutes, right, of this fight, the first round and a half, I think then Whitaker should be able to sail. I just feel like Jared Cannonier is gonna is gonna make a is gonna make a statement. He's not the more technical striker, you know. He's not the better MMA fighter. What he is is really fucking strong and explosive, and like, and he's fighting a guy who is a I think is a bit diminished based on the the Adesanya fight, the Till knockdown, and most importantly, the two fights against Yoel Romero. Yeah, I I had a hard time with this one as well. I'm still Whitaker having a hard went, time with it. I hear I totally hear where you're coming from. Whitaker went from welterweight to middleweight after taking a loss against Stephen Thompson. Was undefeated at middleweight all the way through winning and defending the title until he ran into current champ Israel Adesanya. Since being knocked out by Adesanya twice in one fight, basically, he came back and won a competitive decision against Darren Till. He likes to pressure with a high output striking game. Likes to slip and counter with looping combos. Will go for takedowns when needed. Has solid defense overall, but ran into big strikes against both Adesanya and Till. In fact, he's been knocked down five times in his last three fights after not being knocked down a single time in his eight fights prior to that. So there's definitely some concern against a hard hitter. Cannonier also started his UFC career in a different division, two divisions up to be exact. Had a semi-successful run at heavyweight and light heavyweight. Cannonier is undefeated at middleweight and knocking at the doors of a title shot, which he will ensure with a win against the former champ. He has serious power and speed at middleweight. Like Whitaker, he is solid when throwing first and when countering his opponent's shots. He's kind of good on both of those ends. His leg kicks have looked serious lately as well as he finished Anderson Silva with a right leg kick. He has been knocked out by solid counter strikers like Dominic Reyes and controlled by solid grapplers like Glover Teixeira and the current light heavyweight champ Jan Blakowicz. Both guys are solid experienced strikers. Both have the ability to hurt people on the feet and can be hurt on the feet as well. Given the number of times Whitaker has been hurt lately, I think Jared should be the more dangerous man when they're standing. Whitaker, however, will go for takedowns if he feels like there's danger standing like he did against Darren Till and Uriah Hall. I'm leaning slightly toward Robert Whitaker, but I have real concerns about his chin, especially given Cannonier's power, obviously. Whitaker will have the option of going for takedowns if that doesn't work. He should be able to control Cannoneer against defense if needed is what I'm kind of hoping for. And I say this knowing that Cannoneer is very strong himself. Jared has been beaten up that way in the past after all, right? By Blackwicks and Teixeira. This is a tough of fight to predict as the odds suggest. So I have little confidence in this one. But I'm leaning toward the fighter with more tools and more experience at the highest level uh, over the fighter with one very sharp tool who, you know, has looked very, very human in some of his uh, prior fights. My next pick is going to be in the Alex Oliveira versus Shavkat Rachmanov matchup. Alex Oliveira is kind of a wild man. He just throws everything at the kitchen sink. He has the experience edge over most of his opponents. He's solid from top position, but not very good off his back. And he lands a little more than has landed on him. Uh, but his UFC opposition has been super high. Uh, Rachmanov is a serious prospect, tall for welterweight at 6'1", solid boxing with good defense, Excellent kicks and even likes to throw spinning back and spinning heel kicks. Solid ground and pound, high fight IQ. He's undefeated at 11-0 on the M1 scene, which is as high level as it gets outside the UFC. Uh, Rahmanov was supposed to fight Elizzi Zaleski Dos Santos, so UFC matchmakers very much want to put him right into the fire. I like Rahmanov's fight IQ and consistency to overpower Oliveira's unpredictability and experience. Oliveira's known for getting tired late, and he took this fight on 17 days' notice, while Shavkat has been preparing for his UFC debut for at least six weeks so I'm there with the uh, debutante Nikolai 
Yeah, I watched a bunch of him. I like Shavkat uh, Rakhanov uh, quite a bit, but he he looks very small for the division in the UFC. But I was gonna I was gonna pick him too. But the size, his so we'll see how he looks in the in the weigh-ins. But the size definitely was a concern. He's six one, Nick. He's bigger than Oliveira. He doesn't. He didn't look it. I don't know. Maybe it's just maybe Fair when enough. I'm watching this footage of other. Uh, he just looked, he looked really skinny. I heard that. And Oliveira is strong. You know, is strong up on the strong in the clinch and up against the cage. But for the but I'm still I'm with, I'm with it on the pick and it, w- it would have been like my second to last or last pick. Um, so I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with Steph, Stefan Struve over Taitu Avasa. Um, tough, tough one to pick, but Taitu Avasa was fun. Had a lot of fans early. I really think he's mostly like if he wasn't a heavyweight, he'd be like a, he's a regional fighter. He had the wins over Rashad Coulter and Cyril Asker by with hot finishes, and then that like disputed decision against Andre Arlovsky. Since then, you know, overmatched against J- Junior Santos and Blagoy Ivanov, and then in his last fight against the not very impressive in my mind Sergey Spivak, uh, lost via arm triangle. The fact of the matter is, yes, Struff's chin isn't great. He's going to be a foot taller than this guy, uh, nearly. And if Struff doesn't get knocked out cold, which he doesn't seem to get like knocked out cold much anymore, I got to believe he's going to end up a top control at some point. And it, this, his jujitsu is still the best part of his game, and it's very, very hard to stop because of how just how big and strong he is. Um, if he was if if he was trying you know triangles by Sergei Spivak, I got to believe that Struff's going to be able to tie him up. Um, and get and get the choke. I don't feel great about it because it's Stefan Struve, and he could certainly yeah. eat a hay, eat a haymaker. But my the his experience versus who Taitu Avasa has been in his fights uh, tells me this fight's going to end up on the ground at some point. It's not going to be like Struve against Roy Nelson, you know, twelve years ago or whatever. Um, and you know, even if Struve eats some shots, he's going to end up on top of him where he's go- where he should be able to finish the fight. But again, yeah, not, I- I'm not saying I'm not saying this with a ton of confidence. I hear that. Yeah, I'm there with you. I have no confidence in my prediction for this one. The reason I'm leaning ever so slightly toward Toivasa is because he, I think, has taken his losing streak seriously. From what I understand, he's worked with American Kickboxing Academy to some extent leading into this fight. Um, seems to be taking it pretty seriously. I know he and uh, Tyson Tyson Reyes, is it? Who's the, who's the uh, light heavyweight former prospect that's a training partner of his? Uh, they uh, just started... They just started a beer, Nick. And so I don't know if his yeah. focus was purely on the fights, but it sounds like he took this camp seriously. So I'm, I guess I'll lean on toward Tavasa, who can land a bomb or two early where Stefan Struve is like the weakest. Uh, Struve has looked better in his last couple of fights, even though he ended up getting knocked out uh, by Rothwell in his last bout. But I just feel like he finds ways to lose. So yeah, could easily go either way. I'm there on Stefan Struve. Uh, yep. Nikolai, a good one in the books. It's 49% Struve, 51% mm-hmm. Taivusa at Topology. It's close to 50-50 as you can get and the only fight that's nearly that close, um, you know, in the votes. Yeah, it's it's not a fight you want to bet on if you value your money because either of these guys, like if, if the odds were lopsided, then you invest in whoever's the underdog here. But this, I mean, this is just a crapshoot and it's hard to rely on other guy, either guy to pick up a win here. Well, another one in the books, Brady. I can't wait for this fight. I am looking forward to discussing it next week, Nick. 15 of my wins to 11 of yours. I'm looking to set a little more distance between us this week. Talk to you next week, bud. Hasta la pasta. And I'm back solo for the MMA Geeks betting guide. Last week did not go well for us, guys. 
As those of you know that follow the betting guide, we are down $210 from last week. It was a particularly rough one. I think one of my biggest losses in a long, long time. We are now profitable in eight of the last 10 weeks, so we're still in a good place. Up 252% from the initial investment of $300, so we're still in a really good place. We can afford this kind of loss, but we can't afford a lot of them, so we're going to look to turn things around. I will say this, if Jamie Malarkey didn't get screwed on that terrible decision, we would have lost less than $100. Instead, we've lost $210, which kind of hurts, but we will take it and keep on trucking. Now, my bets for this weekend are as follows. First, I recommend a straight bet on Joel Alvarez at minus 150, $75 to win 50. I think he's got the athletic advantage over Yakovlev. He looked really good against a veteran in his last fight who's, in my opinion, a lot more crafty and dangerous than his Yakovlev. So I expect that Joel Alvarez being the bigger, stronger man should do well here. He's going to have the striking advantage and on the ground, it should at least be competitive. I also recommend a straight bet on Shafkat Rahmanov, who's fighting Alex Cowboy Oliveira. This one in particular, I just think this is a really talented prospect that's coming into the UFC. It's not best case scenario for his UFC debut against such a crafty veteran, but I expect that Rahmanov should be at least able to hold his own on the feet for the first five minutes. He's got a solid jab, a solid right hand, and pretty solid wrestling. And once he gets on top, he is nasty with his ground and pound. And on bottom is Alex Oliveira's worst position, and that on top of the fact that Alex Oliveira doesn't have the best gas tank and took this fight on short notice on top of that, so it could be worse than usual. I like Rachmanov at plus 120, $50 to win 60 on that one. And then we've got a pair of prop bets that I think could be interesting here. The idea is that I believe very strongly that the Casey Kenny nathaniel Wood fight will go to decision. I think that's highly, highly likely. So at plus 120, I recommend a bet of $50 to win 60 on Kenny by decision specifically. He's a, a bit of a favorite if you just bet him straight. But Wood by decision, plus 330, $30 to win 99. So the way this would work is that worst case, if this fight does not go to decision, we've lost 80. Not best case scenario, obviously. But if it does go to decision and either guy wins, we have a profit, a $30 profit if Kenny wins and a $50 profit if Nathaniel Wood can pick up the win here. So I'm going to put that together. That's worked well for me, this sort of prop betting in the past where I kind of hedge two prop bets against each other. Next, I have three parlays for you guys. First, the one that I'm probably most confident in is Hawes and Ankalaev at minus 114, $57 to win 50. We've already seen what Ankalaev looks like against Kutelaba back in February. He was way faster, way more power. And on top of that, he should have the ground game advantage. And Hawes is going to be so much more athletic than his very inexperienced 4-0 opponent. I think that Hawes should be able to finish early. So... $57 to win 50 on Halls and on Kalive in a parlay. Also, I recommend a parlay on Lauren Murphy and Khabib Nurmagomedov. $59 to win 50 on that one. We all know what the deal is here. Khabib's wrestling is untouchable so far in his UFC career. Gaethje might be his biggest challenge, but I still believe in this bet. I think Lauren Murphy has a decent edge over her opponent who's taking this fight on short notice. Her opponent's a decent striker with good wrestling but I don't like the circumstances with which she has to come into the UFC. Lauren Murphy Murphy being a genuine top 10 fighter at 125, I think she's going to be stronger and hit harder and should be able to avoid takedowns in that matchup. Now, I have a little bit of a hedge on this bet. Gaethje at plus 294, $20 to win 59. So the idea is simple. If Khabib loses to Gaethje, then I will have evened out between these two bets. If Lauren Murphy and Khabib come through, then I will walk away with a profit. And my final bet is going to be a bit of a throwaway. There are two fights that I 
had a hard time picking combined with one fight that I think is a lock. I think Miranda Maverick is probably a lock. The odds of her getting caught by an armbar are not very high. And I like her chances in that matchup. And then I'm going to combine her with Tai Tuivasa and Robert Whitaker. I know I don't usually recommend three fighter parlays, but 13 bucks to win 50 on those. I figure $13 throwaway is not the worst thing. And if all three do come through, then $50 will be a nice little payday for minimal risk. That'll do it for the bets for next week, folks. We've obviously got an incredible fight card coming up, headlined by a huge fight this weekend. But next week, we've got some interesting things to look forward to. I do quickly want to shout out, we're going to have Gerhard Musasi going up against Douglas Lima in Bellator 250 on uh, Thursday the 29th. That is a phenomenal fight. I am super, super interested in it. I'm definitely going to be tuning in. So for those of you out there that are looking for some good fights to watch. And then, of course, we have a UFC fight card coming up that following weekend after that Bellator card. We've got Uriah Hall versus Anderson Silva in the main event. Pretty interesting matchup, I'd say. Greg Hardy versus Maurice Green in the co-main. That's intriguing enough. Bryce Mitchell is coming back against fellow prospect Andre Philly. I love that fight. Bobby Green against Thiago Moises, that's intriguing enough. Mahmoud Muradov, who's coming in as a serious hot prospect in the UFC 2-0, going up against fellow prospect Kevin Holland. Fascinating matchup. Dustin Jacoby, who went out and plied his trade in the glory scene, is facing off with Justin Ledette, a striker's delight. Got a couple of guys who look like they could be prospects, but have been a little disappointing in Alexander Hernandez and Chris Grutschmeicher. I might be mispronouncing that. Sean Strickland is coming back against Jack Marshman in that one. Definitely some good meat on the bone for that. I didn't expect all of that. There are some undercard fights on the October 31st card that are looking really appetizing to me. So a lot to look forward to, folks. Have a great weekend. Enjoy UFC 254. I know I will.